it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom Starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 139. Uh, tonight, Andrew and I are going to have a little discussion back and forth. We're going to talk about bonds. So I have written three blog posts over the last week or so about bonds and the different aspects of them, the different kinds there are, and kind of the ins and outs of them. And Andrew and I thought that, well, actually Andrew, thought that this would be an interesting conversation for us, and he thought he could maybe just kind of ask me some questions and see what I could do to help people learn more about this particular asset class. This is something that is not talked about a lot. It's certainly not taught in schools. And most people are very unfamiliar with bonds and how they work. And as we know, if you're unfamiliar with something, it can be a little bit scary or overwhelming. So we hopefully we can help illuminate these this asset class a little bit more and give you some insights. And if this is something that you're interested in learning more about, we're here to help you. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn over to my friend, Andrew, and he's going to grill me with a lot of really hard questions. So fire away. <laughs> no, I'm not going to put you under the grill. Not today. Maybe we'll save that okay. for another episode. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you definitely wrote three really great posts on the blog. And I think if people hear our conversation and they're really interested in getting down to the nitty gritty, I suggest reading those, um, uh, you know, it's kind of spaced out in the publishing schedule. Um, but really if you just go on the website, investingforbeginners.com, you go to the search bar, you type in bonds and, um, you're going to talk about several different types of bonds. And I think that'll be very helpful. So if you have like, let's say you want to learn more about municipal bonds, you could type that into the search, the search bar and you'll see Dave's, masterpiece on there. Uh, really these in-depth guides and, and those can be very, very helpful. But first, before we get into all of that, let's talk about maybe why bonds are 
what kind of investor would find it attractive? I think not only, you know, I think when we think of bonds in general, you, you start to think of people who are in retirement or close to retirement. Mm-hmm. And, and there's good reasons for that because we've talked in the past how the stock market over the very, very long term, it's it's great for returns. But uh, if you're talking about a one-year time period, the market could drop 20, 30, 40%. Um, even in a five-year period, it's not always a guarantee you'll make money. So if you don't have that 10 to 20-year time period plus, you might want to find something that's not as volatile as stocks. So kind of break down for somebody who doesn't know what a bond is, the basics of it and why the way it's structured makes it attractive for certain type of investors. Oh, okay. Well, that's, um, I guess let's, let's start with the, the basic of what a bond is. The easiest way to think about what bonds are is their debt. So Andrew and I rail about debt and we talk a lot about debt and this is a different aspect of debt. So when you think about a corporate bond or a municipal bond or a treasury bond, those are all going to be considered debt. Basically what that means is we are loaning somebody money in the return of getting our principal back. So just for example, if you buy a hundred dollar treasury bill or a something like that, then you give them a hundred dollars. They agree to pay you that hundred dollars back at some point in the future, whatever that may be, the contract that may be. Plus they're going to give you a coupon or a dividend. So they're going to pay you an extra percentage to, you know, for us to loan that money to them. Same thing works with the corporate bonds as well as the municipal bonds. All those are, are those are ways for these particular entities to generate revenue or money for them to do projects. Uh, you know, in the, in the case of municipal bonds, those are bonds that are issued by a state or a city or a municipality. And those are done in an effort to raise money to do things like build a school or to repair the roads or, you know, fund a hospital or, you know, a variety of different things. And so we fork over our money to these particular people and then they will pay us back uh, the money that we loan them as well as we would get interest rate back. So that's kind of the basics of, of how these work. Uh, treasuries, corporate bonds, and municipals all work in the same kind of fashion. It's money that we loan to somebody and they pay it back, whether it's a government, whether it's a corporation like Microsoft, or whether it's a city like Raleigh. Uh, it, it all kind of works the same. So that's kind of the general rule of how they work. So who would want to buy these? Uh, really, it kind of comes down to really three types of people would want to do this. So the first one is really the big institutions. So the big money managers, this is where they would use some of their money to have some sort of liquidity. In other words, they can turn around and sell these in certain cases fairly easily and get their money back to use it to do something else. And I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But the other people, the other larger portion of that would be people that are either defensive, i.e. they're not real aggressive investors or they're really afraid of risk. They want to invest money. They want to earn something on their money, maybe more than a savings account would pay, but they want to earn some money 
and but they're really afraid of really diving into the stock market. And then also people that are either close to retirement, like Andrew was talking about, or people that are already in retirement would be wanting to buy bonds because A, they're very safe and B, they pay you a dividend or a coupon and those, and that's a fixed income. So, uh, bonds are really considered a fixed income asset because the price that you pay for it generally is fairly stable. It is going to go up and down, but the coupon that you pay will not change. So if you're buying a, a, a bond that, you know, is going to pay you 3%, you're going to get that 3% irregardless of the price going up or down we get that 3% over the life of the bond, whether it's a two-week bond or whether it's a 20-year or 30-year bond. Uh, in some cases in the South uh, South America, they're up to $100, 100 years. But um, So that's really kind of who would want to invest in those. So what about bonds makes the defensive type investor really attracted to them? Um, I think, uh, I, it would definitely be the 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 lack of risk the fact that these kinds of investments this fi- fixed income investment is far less volatile than buying a stock uh you and I have talked many times about when you buy stocks you one of the best things to do is to not look at it because you could drive yourself crazy seeing the wild fluctuations uh, in the stock market day to day, minute to minute, <laughs> you know, hour to hour. Uh, you can watch it, you know, rise 10% and drop 7%, you know, all in the span of seconds sometimes. You know, we talked uh, last week about the, you know, the volatility that the Tesla was going through. So imagine having a f- portfolio of those and you just can't stand that. Uh, something like bonds are going to be far less riskier. The, if you think about the evolution of risk as far as investments go, the safest thing to do is to put your money in a bank. Uh, you're going to earn not a lot depending on where you bank and, but the risk is almost zero. And then you're looking at uh, bonds. Uh, treasury bonds are going to be probably the, the most secure because that money is secured by its, uh, it's guaranteed by the full faith of the United States government. So whether we like or, or hate the government, uh, at this point, the fact is that they've never defaulted on a loan. So if you invest your money in treasuries, you're almost guaranteed. You can't say anything's ironclad guaranteed, but you're almost guaranteed you're going to get your money back. Then you have corporate bonds, or actually you have municipal bonds, and then you have corporate bonds. And then after that, you move into stocks. So when you are investing, those kinds of assets like a bond are going to be something that's far more secure. You're more guaranteed, depending on which bond you're going to get, you're more guaranteed that you're going to get your money back, but you're still going to be earning some interest on the, on, on the bonds. Now, bond portfolios right now are struggling because the interest rates are so low that they've driven the yields down on bonds quite a bit. And so that's scaring some people into investing these. But, you know, our, our hero, Ben Graham, in his uh, great books, the intelligent investor as well as security analysis spends a lot of time talking about bonds. And that's one of the 
portfolio mixes that he really strongly encouraged for defensive investors was to have 50% in bonds and 50% in stocks because that helps, you know, take some of the risk out of your portfolio. And that's really what it comes down to. What's nice about a mix like that is when you have, I know bonds and stocks are loosely correlated, which in more simpler terms means they kind of move similarly. So if stocks generally are going up, bonds will generally go up too and vice versa. Um, But sometimes that relationship disconnects. So what's nice Mm -hmm. about having a mix of one or the two is that when one is down, you can and one is high, you can sell the high to buy more of the low and kind of allocate in that fashion um, to try for better returns. Uh, Before, I guess, really getting down to the nitty gritty of that, can you explain, and thank you for the great breakdown of of the simplicity of a blind, I think that helps a lot. Um, Can you talk about, in the most general sense, the relationship between interest rates and bond prices and bond yields? Ooh, yeah, um, I'll try. <laughs> so um, interest rates uh, will, I guess the easiest way to think about it is like a, a, a teeter-totter. So when interest rates go up, then bond prices are going to go down. So when I talk about bond prices, what I'm referring to is when a bond is sold on a market, it is sold at what they call par value. And depending on what the bond is, that's generally $1,000. Now, treasuries, you can buy online through the uh, treasury.gov website for $100 uh, a pop, if you will. Uh, corporate bonds and municipal bonds sell for quite a bit more than that. and But they're all sold at what they call par. So that means $1,000. So it's it's just even. So if the interest rates go down, then the bond prices are going to go up. So that $1,000 now maybe you know, to buy that same corporate bond a year from now, it may cost you $1,008 as opposed to $1,000. Now, the, the inverse of that is true, is, is correct as well. So let's say that interest rates rise. Then what happens is, is the yield, or I'm sorry, the, the par on that is still $1,000. But now instead of buying that bond for, a thousand dollars or a thousand eight, for example, now you may be buying it for $992 because it's the interest rates have risen. And so now the price on the particular bond will move. Now the coupon that you originally purchased that bond for will stay the same. So the three thousand or the, I'm sorry, the thousand dollar par that you pay for that, the coupon that they sell you, let's say it's a 3% bond. That 3% is still going to be, that's, you're still going to get that. But what'll happen is, is that when the prices on the bond move up or down, your quote unquote yield is going to change because the relationship between the price that you pay and the coupon that you are going to receive is going to change. The dollar amount won't change uh, as far as like the, the 3% part of it. That won't change. But what will change is the yield or the percentage that they that they calculate that on. Does that make sense? Yeah. So each time you're looking to buy a new bond, the yield is changing depending on what interest rates are doing. That's correct. Yeah. And that the bond market uh, is very highly uh, very highly correlated to the interest rates. And so they will watch, 
the interest rate fluctuations far more avidly than the stock market does. The stock market does too, but the bond market definitely moves in correlation with that. Okay. And so the the general logic behind why the prices will move with interest rates, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just like me trying to break it down into simple terms so I can understand. When interest rates are high, there's a lot of options to put your money somewhere. So that changes the demand of a bond. Yes. It also, I guess the easiest way to think about it too is when the interest rates are high, because that's debt, that means that the money is now more expensive. Because okay. the. So you're talking about interest rates of the, let's say, what the Fed sets yes. as the yeah. 10 year. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So the yeah, debt's that's, more expensive. Yeah. So the, the $1,000 that I just loaned to Microsoft now is costing Microsoft more money. So now the now the the interest payments that they're paying back now become more expensive. Okay. And so if you think of, I guess you can relate it to like regular, uh, like even like a mortgage or something. You you would have some that are fixed rates, some that are variable, and yes. then you can think of even the ones that are fixed. Well, if that's not causing somebody more pain. Um, it's driving the demand of future loans. And so that's going to adjust all the prices of all the new bonds that are being yeah. sold. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. That's okay. Exactly right. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So, what I like a lot about the concept of bonds. I haven't bought a bond myself. I really like the idea that you could, for, from what I see it, and I, I would like to, to have you, I think you could explain a lot better than I can, but essentially the idea that you won't lose money unless the company goes bankrupt. So like we're, we're talking about how the prices can move with interest rates, but you don't have to necessarily be affected by that. Whereas with the stock, you know, the, the, it could be the best stock in the world, but if the market never recognizes it forever, then you'll never get the full realization of that value. But with a bond, you can. So can you talk about that difference? Um, yeah. So the uh, the stock market is very much uh, correlated to the price of the, of the company. So what you pay is going to fluctuate wildly and it can vary quite a bit where with the bonds, once you buy that amount, you know, the prices will, will fluctuate. And the longer the bond is, uh, the more, the, the more risk you have that the price will change. But as it gets closer to the maturation of the bond, you'll, your risk will, will start to diminish. Uh, because there will be, because there's less fluctuations. Um, so, th- and that's another reason why in retirees like bonds, because if you buy, a, you know, a, a five year treasury bond, the closer it gets to that five year period, the less f- time it has to fluctuate and you don't have as great of variance in treasuries or in municipals. 
particular. So you'll have less chance of, of losing your money. And when I say losing your money, I'm talking about, you know, pennies on the dollar as opposed to something like a stock, you know, going from, you know, like what happened to me with GameStop, you know, going from, you know, low twenties to $5, you know, <laughs> that kind of fluctuation in the bond market is, is unheard of. And so the, the, the risk that's involved with those kinds of things is, is far less. And so when you're investing in bonds versus stocks, you, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to get your money back. Plus you're also making an interest payment. The, the, I guess the two risks that are really involved with bonds are number one, when you, when you invest in a bond, let's say it's a long year, it's a, it's, let's say it's a 20 year bond. Um, you're, you're taking the chance that a that uh, the bond may drop in price, so you may lose some value on the initial investment over the life of twenty years, wherever it may fall in that price gap in the twenty years. But you're also uh, potentially losing some of the potential that you could have had investing in the stock market, and that's something. So if you buy, you know, if you're buying stocks in the stock market and they go up ten percent over twenty years, you know, compound that over twenty years, where the stock, where the bond is only going to go up, you know, maybe three to five percent over that time period, then that's money you could lose. But the flip side of that is that you have a lot more stability with the bonds than you do with the stocks. And you're not guaranteed that that stock that you buy, you're going to hold it for 20 years and then it's going to go up that much over a 20 year period. So there's a lot more variables involved with it, with buying a stock as opposed to buying a bond. So what would be the differences then? Um, I would like for you to explain the logistics of buying the bond, but first like, Let's let's use corporate bonds because I think those are those are quite interesting. Um, what would be the differences between the research process between oh I'm thinking about buying the stock versus I'm thinking about buying this bond? Um, uh, honestly, there's not huge differences, which uh, may surprise a lot of people. So a lot of the same thought processes that you go through buying a stock, you're going to do a lot of the same things when you're thinking about buying the bond. So um, I'm going to pick on Microsoft for a second. So <clears throat> when I'm looking at in investing in Microsoft as a stock, I'm going to look at, you know, I'm going to look at their, obviously what it's priced. I'm going to look at their, you know, price to earnings. I'm going to look at their debt to equity. I'm going to look at their price to book, their price to sales, all those kinds of things. So I'm going to look at their whole overall financial picture. In particular, I'm going to look at their balance sheet because I want to make sure that they a have enough free cash flow to pay all their debts, you know, that their current and their quick ratios are in good ranges, which indicate, you know, their ability to liquidate and pay their debts, uh, all those kinds of things. That's all the same stuff that you want to look at for bonds, because you, when you invest in a corporate bond, you want to make sure as 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 accurately as you can that you're investing in a good company, because a good company is not going to default on its loan. Because again, if I buy a Microsoft's bond as opposed to investing in a stock, the bond is a debt. I've given them my money. And, you know, hopefully in 10, 20, 30 years, they're going to pay it back to me with interest. Now, 
if I'm investing in a company that's a lot higher risk, let's say Tesla, you know, obviously that's a much higher risk company because of the fluctuations of everything that we've talked about. That's far riskier to invest in. I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to get their money back, my money back in 10, 20, 30 years. So that's all that a lot of that's the same process. One of the big differences is that there are credit agencies out there that rate bonds for us. So they do a lot of this legwork that we're talking about to help us. And they have different scales. Uh, I'm not going to go through all three of them, but uh, there's three rating agencies. There's Moody's, uh, the S&P, and then there's Fitch's. And all three of these companies uh, rate uh, corporate bonds, municipal bonds, treasury, not treasuries, I'm sorry, corporate bonds and municipal bonds. <clears throat> and they give them ratings. So Microsoft, for example, is one of the two companies right now that have a AAA rating, which is as high as you can get. So what Moody's is saying to uh, to me is if I buy Microsoft's corporate bond, as of right now, they think they're es- they're in their estimation and their analysis that this is a lock guarantee that I will get my money back 10, 20, 30 years from now with the interest. Flip side of that is if I buy Tesla, Tesla has what they call, depending on how you want to refer to it, either they call it a high yield or a junk bond. So what that means is is that the bond pays a higher coupon for the same $1,000 that I would invest in a Tesla bond. I'm going to get a higher return on that. But the flip side of that is that the debt is far riskier. So they're rating them as maybe a, a single B or even a C, which is really bad. And I, I honestly don't know what Tesla's is. I've just read that they're, they're considered in the junk realm. So in corporate bonds, just to kind of back up real quick, they're, when we're talking about credit ratings, that's what these three companies that I refer to do. There's what they call investment grade, and then there's what they call high yield or junk. So the high yields are anything that Moody's, Fitch's, S&P think are really strong companies with strong balance sheets, you know, outlook is really good for the companies. And they really strongly believe that if you invest in these companies, that you will get your money back plus your interest. The ones that are considered high yield or junk, those are far riskier. Now, does that absolutely mean that they're going to default? No, they do not. But the risk is much higher there. And so that's when you start playing with some of those high yield or junk type bonds where the volatility can be correlate very closely with stocks, but the yield or the return that you could get on those is not as great as investing in a stock. So there's kind of a, a, a give and take, if you will, from there. So uh, long story short, you do the same research you would do for a stock. And then you also would look at these, uh, bond rating agencies to get a a review from them of what they're rating these companies uh, credit rating. And the higher on the scale it is, the more secure it is. But the flip side is the higher the, the security, the lower they're going to pay as a yield because you're not, you're not paying for that risk, if that makes sense. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turned to NerdWallet. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card worth more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s. Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the host of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field 
and we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. It does, it does, yeah. So let's say somebody has picked a company, they like what the company is doing, they like the balance sheet, they want to either see what the bond you know, what's the coupon on their bond, or maybe they already know they want to buy the bond. Um, how would they go about doing that? Um, there's two ways to do it. Uh, the first way is uh, not accessible to us. <laughs> uh, and that's where they buy on an initial, um, they call it an issue. Uh, it's really an IPO, if you will, of a bond. And those are only open to uh, the large institutions or somebody, you got to know somebody kind of thing. Like, Hey, I know Larry down the street and he can help me get in to buy this stock. It's kind of like an IPO. They're, they're not really open to the public in general. And so those are kind of not an option for us peasants like me. Uh, the other option is through the secondary market and you could do these through your online brokers. So like I use Charles Schwab, for example, I can go online through Charles Schwab and I can buy a corporate bond on the secondary market from those They can be traded over the counter. But there's also a, an, an agency called trace that they can, you can use them as a, um, in essence, a better business bureau of bond brokers when you buy a bond through the secondary market, the trick is is that they will put their commission for that sale in the price of the bond. And so you don't necessarily know what you're paying for that without going through this agency to make sure that you can get a verification that this is a legit company that's selling you the bond. And that they're not, they will also give you the latest price that it was sold for so that you can compare what the broker you're buying it from and what was just sold. It's not a guarantee that you'll be able to see for sure what the commission is, but you can at least get a, a, a general ballpark. And so I just use, you know, easy numbers. Let's say that the last sold, the last time that this, you know, corporate bond was sold, what it was selling for a thousand ten dollars. And then you go to buy it five days later and now you see that it's selling for eleven hundred dollars. Well, that ninety bucks that the broker is marking it up for, it could be an increase in the price, part of it, but it's also all their commission. It's completely different than when we used to buy stocks on Ally, for example. We already knew what the commission was. It was $4.95. It was upfront. It was very transparent. There was no guesswork involved. But when you're buying with bonds, there's still a little bit of quote unquote shadiness that can go on. And so this agency trace that I was talking about, they're an agency that helps you know, review the people that sell the bond. So you're making sure you're buying a legitimate bond from a legitimate company. And they also help protect you a little bit from the price gouging that could happen. It's kind of like buying a car from somebody who, you you know, it's down on the corner. You don't really know the guy. You don't know what they're doing. And, you know, you're buying this car and they're, you know, jacking you up 27% on the interest rate or something like that. So it's, that's kind of how it works. So trace, that's a website. Anybody could go on. Yes. 
And okay. yep, yep, it's 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 some it's some place you any but we can all log in and you can uh, go on there and then you just type in the name of the broker and then they'll spit out a whole bunch of information about them so that you can do your own due diligence about it. It's also an agency that can help you if there's ever a problem. Uh, they can help try to work as a go between for you versus the company you bought the bond from. Um, and with the, kind of backing up to the credit agencies that I was speaking about a few minutes ago, they also have the ability to um, show you what the prices are on, on the bonds. And all three of those different sites uh, are all free. So you can register with Moody's, for example, and you can type in Microsoft and it'll spit out a whole bunch of information about Microsoft. So it's kind of cool. That is cool. So now kind of looking at the rest of the picture for somebody who's interested in bonds. Now you've walked them nicely through the process and maybe they want to think about how this is going to fit with their overall portfolio. Can you give us some thoughts about how you see that playing out as far as buying corporates, municipals, and anything like that? Um, yeah, I think the easiest way, I guess, to think about it is think about what your goals are with investing. So obviously that's number one. Number two is what kind of risk profile do you have? So if you're like, you know, I'm, um, 25 years old and I want to, you know, I want to shoot for the moon, then playing with, with the bond market or the bonds is probably not, the place you'd want to be, uh, because you, you can earn you know, over the long term. You could you have far more opportunity to earn more money with with stocks than you do with bonds. Well, let's say you're somebody like me. You know, I'm 53 years old, and you know, retirement is not immediately in view, but it's definitely starting to peak over the horizon, kind of thing. So, I want to start having some security in my portfolio as we get closer to retirement. And I don't want to throw all my money at risk in the stock market. So using bonds could be a great way for me to kind of help manage some of that risk. So in that portfolio, let's say 70, 30, 60, 40, the 30 or 40%, I wanted to use bonds, for example. 60, 40 is kind of the classic, quote unquote, classic allocation that a lot of people have in the past recommended and sometimes still do of like 60% stocks and 40% bonds. And as you get closer to retirement, kind of flipping that like 40, you know, 40% stocks and 60% bonds. But that's kind of a conversation for another day. But if you wanted to start looking at investing in bonds as some way of having a more secure way of, you know, still making money, but feeling like a little bit less pressure about what's going on with the stock market, um, you can look at, you know, taking that 40%, for example, and splitting it up into the different buckets, depending on a, how much you want to try to you know, generate income from those and B, how much effort and work you want to put into it. Uh, you can create ladders. And basically what that means is that you buy, you buy different time length bonds. And when that one expires, so let's say that you buy a 10, you know, let's say you buy four 
10-year bonds, but you stagger them by a month or six months or something. When that one first one matures, you have a choice of either rolling it into another bond or you can take that money and invest it in something else or you can use it to as income, you know, depending on where you are in your your evolution of retirement, for example. Uh, so that could be money that you could use for your pay for yourself or you could just roll it into something else and kind of keep the keep the ladder going so every every six months or every year a bond would mature and then you choose what you want to do with it so you can do that with treasuries you can do that with corporate bonds and you can do that with municipal bonds uh, as far as the yields that you would get from each of these sections generally treasuries because of the safest are also the lowest uh, municipal bonds are going to be the second tier of money you can make from an investment with them. They're not as safe as treasuries, but they're probably more safe or more secure than corporate bonds. And then corporate bonds are going to be the <clears throat> riskiest, if you will, a quote unquote riskiest of the, the bunch, but they're also going to pay you the most as well. So, you know, having a mix of those is, is probably a best way of going. Let's say, you know, you have, 10% in treasuries, maybe you have 10% in municipals, and then you have 20% in corporate bonds kind of thing. And that seems to be, from everything I've read, that seems to be kind of a, a, a very common breakdown of how people would use that kind of money. That's a great breakdown. I think I like the way you kind of summarize it there at the end. And um, do you have like any other parting words or uh, anything else people should know about bonds? Um, yeah, I think that uh, this is some, something that everybody should be at least uh, aware of and educate themselves a little bit about it so that they have a great way of, um, you know, having some safety in, in their portfolio and also feeling like they could still make money off of it. Because I, I don't know about you, Andrew, but, you know, whenever I look at a bank and I think, hey, I should put some money in there and then I see the interest rates that they want to give me, I'm <laughs> I'm like, I kind of laugh, like, really? That's it? Oh, uh, okay. You really don't like me very much, do you? Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, these could be a, a great opportunity for people to try to help, you know, make a few bucks, but also feel secure, like they could sleep at night knowing that, hey, you know, if the stock market goes to poop tomorrow, then I still, I still got something that's going to be making me money. Yeah, I think we kind of glossed over it, but that lathering strategy can be really huge because to your point, like you said, when it comes to investing in the stock market, if the stock market crashes, you're kind of locked in, right? Either you're going to sell at a huge loss or you just have to wait it out until it recovers. When you have something like a bond lather, not only has that bond been making you money the whole time, but every time it matures, it's like you have your investment back and now it's like you got dry powder and you can put that yeah. to work in, in so many different ways. And if you structure the ladder correctly, you're regularly going to be having fresh capital. It's almost like a double income stream if, if you structure it right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I learned something really interesting. It just never really dawned on me until I started doing research about these. But do you know who one of the top investors in treasuries is? Go ahead. I have no idea. It's Warren Buffett. Uh, that makes sense, right? He's got all that cash uh, yeah. sitting there, like waiting to make an acquisition. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just never really put two and two. I, I, you know, I look at his balance sheet all the time, and you see, you know, at the top of the balance sheet, cash and cash equivalents. Well, the cash equivalents are treasuries, and he buys billions of them. 
And you know, he, I'm, he doesn't, he never says it. And I didn't find any information that says this is just my theory. So take that for what it's worth. But I'm positive he's laddering those, uh, to have, like you said, fresh powder so that if something comes along and he wants to pull the trigger and buy it, he's got the cash to do it. But he's also still making some money off of these treasuries as opposed to just having it sit in a bank somewhere. I think uh, we kind of glossed over that part too. And that might've been like the most exciting part. I know not only Buffett, but a lot of portfolio managers, uh, hedge fund managers, you know, value investing type fund managers, mutual fund managers, when they have their cash allocations, it's not like you said, sitting in the brokerage account, they usually have T bills with it. So real quick, I know you kind of mentioned at the beginning, um, but if somebody wants to, let's say they have their, let's say, you know, they have a five to 10% cash allocation, uh, for their portfolio. So they want to have money to, to pile into stocks into the right stock when they see the right opportunity. Um, but they're not at that part right now and, and they need it to just sit rather than putting it into their brokerage account. They could get treasury bonds or T bills as they're also called. So how would the average investor get into that? Uh, the, well, the, the easiest way is to go to treasury.gov and you can create an account on there and they can, you can deposit money into the account at treasury.gov and you can buy, like you said, T-bills. Now, T-bills are the shortest duration of bonds that the government sells. And they're as short as, uh, I want to say seven days and as long as a year. And one of the things that I've started doing is I've started uh, a savings account, in essence, with Treasury.gov, and I put money in there regularly, but I, I ladder it so that every uh, about every two weeks it turns over. And you can set it so that it automatically does it for you, and then it, it, it can only do it up to 20 times, so it's not you know a forever thing. But what you can do is you can do it like that. And so that you, you're, you're always getting money back and you're, you're earning interest on it. You're going to earn uh, at this point, you're going to earn about as much as you could with a online bank. But if you bank at a brick and mortar bank, let's say, you know, my old, my old stomping grounds, Wells Fargo or us bank, you know, those are paying 0.01, 0.03% on their savings accounts. It's just putrid, but, with a treasury, they're paying 1.5 to 1.6, depending on the length of the, of the T bill. So one of the things that I do with that is I ladder it so that I'm still making some money on it, but it turns over quick enough that if I need to use it to do something, pay for repair a car or, you know, buy a house or whatever it may be, um, I have the money there to do it, but I'm still earning interest on it. So, uh, you can stagger the ladders however you want. If you want to do, if you want to buy five ladders for 13 week intervals, you can do that. Uh, it's super easy and you can have the money transferred automatically from your paycheck to the treasury.gov website if you want. So, I mean, there's, it, it's, uh, and the best part is it's, it's, uh, commission free. Now, now that's not as big a deal, but it is, it is commission free. So that's kind of cool. And um, the other thing that I like about it is you can buy it in smaller increments. The corporate bonds and the municipals that we're that we've been talking about those are a minimum a thousand dollars a pop. Uh, in a lot of cases, it's five ten thousand dollars to buy one bond. So you you get ten bonds for that. 
$10,000, but you know, I don't know about you, but I don't have $10,000 laying around to start throwing at corporate bonds right away. So, you know, that's just kind of something that I've noticed and it makes it real easy to use. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I think a great way to, to, to make your cash, make some money rather than just sit there. Uh, and obviously a lot of great investment professionals do it and it's, mm-hmm. I don't want to say no risk, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. Know. Yep. I, uh, I read a, I read a blog about this. It, it kind of sparked my idea. Uh, a gentleman who was a, a, an entrepreneur, so he was working for himself, uh, instead of, uh, paying the the government, uh, their taxes every quarter, uh, what he did was his accountant told him to pay annually. So what he did was he calculated how much he was going to have to pay over the course of the year. He set up a bond ladder through treasury.gov and he made one and a half to 2% off of the money that he was going to have to pay the government at the end of the year. So he had them all uh, mature around the beginning of March. And then he had all of the money that he was going to owe for the year for his taxes, but he was able to earn some money on it. So um, I thought that was kind of a fascinating idea. Well, I think we just found the two people that the IRS is going to audit next. So um, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> well, you're not doing it, but I am. So. <laughs> uh, what do they call it? Uh, crime by accomplice or something yeah, like that? Yeah. <laughs> Guilty by association. There you go. That's what it is. Well, that's really cool. I, I love the different applications for that. And I think a lot of people can find value. So if they're interested... I think your blog posts on especially the the treasury one, I really like that one. I, I liked all of them, so what can I say? But um, those are good places to look and definitely find all of the different investment aspects of bonds and the ways they can be beneficial um, and learn about it and do it and All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about bonds and I hope you learned a thing or two. If you have any questions about this, please uh, let me know. I'm here to help. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.